Matthew chapter 13. We're going to keep moving in Matthew 13 for the next two weeks, um, leading right up to uh, the incarnation celebration. That will be on December 20th. That will be our Christmas Sunday. And uh, we'll look forward to a special time there focusing on our Christ as the one who gave up the glories of heaven and became man for us and um, in obedience to his father. But until then, we're going to continue on. And really, I'd like to wrap up Matthew chapter 13 before the end of the year. And then, of course, in January, we'll be doing a, a, a mini series on the church who we are and what we're all about here at Grace. And I hope that'll be informative as we study God's word and how it informs our life together. This morning, we find ourselves after a couple weeks uh, away. Thank you to David for our study in Jonah. Had a profound impact on my own mind and thinking and um, just a treasure of a study. If you miss that, please get the CDs for that. They're available at the hub or get that online and enjoy that instruction. This morning we find ourselves in verse number 47, coming back to these parables and uh, really kind of diving back into the deep end of the pool with Christ. Um, I thought it might be helpful before we dove into our paragraph for today to review where we've been. First of all, let's set the context here of what's happening. As the story is unfolding, the disciples and Jesus are now inside of Jesus's home. They're Mary's house. Um, they've moved from the boat where Jesus was teaching on the shore to the multitudes and they've moved inside of the house. And now Jesus is conversing with his disciples in parables. He's explaining parables. He's communicating with them about his kingdom. And so as we read this, be mindful of who's speaking and who he's speaking to. This is the Lord Jesus himself talking and he's talking to the disciples and they're inside of a home together perhaps in a living room kind of a place, sitting around, enjoying some refreshment and continuing with their instruction. Now, these parables in Matthew chapter 13 are not just random parables. These are about the kingdom of heaven. And that alone is a subject that could take weeks and weeks for us to unfold because the kingdom of heaven, biblically speaking, has a number of components. It has a number of angles at which you can look at it and see something slightly different. And nobody understood this more than the disciples. The disciples were Jewish men who had grown up with an understanding of the kingdom of heaven as being a future reality. They did not consider themselves to be living in the kingdom prior to the baptism of Jesus Christ and the declaration of John the Baptist that the kingdom was near and when Christ was baptized and began his ministry post wilderness the kingdom was at hand it was it was right in their midst because the king was here but you see their understanding of the kingdom being a future reality meant the king would come check the king would be established as the king not check and the king would overthrow and destroy all enemies of his kingdom not check. And so the disciples are stuck in something of a limbo as Jesus communicates, here is what the kingdom will be like in the present. The king will not be physically present, though he will return. The domination of the kingdom will not yet be known. In fact, the opposite will be true. Though the seed will spread and though the gospel will go out from the kingdom messengers, the kingdom missionaries, the people of the kingdom. 
There will be both wheat and weeds. There will be tares. The kingdom will exist where the sons of the enemy exist. God's people will be intermingling with Satan's people. You see, the disciples had no concept of that. In their mindset, the kingdom of heaven was where God's people were with God's people. In the presence of God's Messiah. Exclusively. They've faced persecution and Jesus says this is going to continue. He tells them that they will be mingled amongst Satan's people. Those who are unbelievers. No doubt they were scared by this reality. Confused by this reality. Doubting whether the kingdom was valuable enough for this to be the experience. And there he gives us the last two parables that we studied beginning in verse 44. We find the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. And a great value. And in both of those parables, Jesus establishes the infinite. The, the unmeasurable value of the kingdom. The kingdom is it's infinite in its value, therefore... It is worthy of infinite cost. And in both of those parables, that's exactly what took place. A hidden treasure was found. Everything was sold. Everything was given up to get that treasure. The pearl was found. Everything was given up to get that pearl. And so it is with the kingdom. Infinite in its value. Worthy of the suffering, the persecution that the disciples were about to experience. At the hands of both their countrymen and Gentiles alike. And Jesus continues now to face head on that confusion on their part about what what the future was for the kingdom of heaven. If this was the present, what would the future hold? Would there ever be a writing of the kingdom? Would there ever be the day when God's people would be exclusively living with God's people under God's Messiah, the king, seated at David's throne? That brings us, I believe, in context to verse number 47. With the value of the kingdom established, with the courage that they have instilled in them through the parable of the weeds explained beginning in verse number 36, that the righteousness, or the righteous rather, will shine like the sun. That is coming with the value perspective established with the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price we now come to verse 47 and the future is described in a parable for them and for us and brothers and sisters this morning this this is sobering sobering information this is not to be taken lightly this is not a mere story this is not the greatest storyteller of history sitting back and communicating light truths Notice what we find from the lips of Jesus himself in verse 47. Again, like the previous parables, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Now, to properly understand this, we must grasp the problem that the disciples faced from their vantage point, right? When we study the Bible, our goal is not to take our circumstance and impose it on the Bible. So the first line of business is not to figure out what this means to me and what I think this means, but rather it's to go back and to establish what it meant, what the original audience understood and what the Spirit intended for them to understand through this text. And so we must establish the disciples' perspective in hearing this information. The problem the disciples faced was the confusion that it was to them that the kingdom of heaven actually meant rejectors of the king lived within the kingdom. Undealt with. Untouched, as it were. As the psalmist would say, they prosper. Why do the wicked prosper? This was what the disciples faced. They were plagued by the thought of diversity within the kingdom present. And Jesus answers them with comforting words of future promise. But sobering, sobering future realities. So with the difficulty we have this morning to get back to their vantage point, I find these words in my own heart, as I struggle to understand how the disciples first heard them, it's so difficult to get over what is being said here. And I think we must focus on the heart of what Jesus is saying. While this provides comfort, I believe, to the disciples, it also provides motivation and it rightly provides for us sobering, sobering concepts of the future. So the big idea this morning is that the kingdom of heaven present will include temporary diversity that will end in precise and unavoidable judgment. All right, let's get that again. The kingdom of heaven present. That is this mysterious kingdom. That was not described in the Old Testament will include temporary diversity. That is spiritual diversity that will end in precise unavoidable judgment, Uh, shocking judgment, devastating judgment. This is the promise that we find in verses 47 to 50. Let's begin then. We'll divide this up into two sections. Not difficult. The parable and the point. Okay, just quite simple. Jesus does interpret this parable for us. He doesn't leave us to grapple with it, though its point is quite clear. We will study this in two divisions. Verses 47 and 48 are the parable. And then verses 49 and 50 are the point. So let's look first at the parable. The parable is one regarding a drag net. The kingdom of heaven is like. All right, we've done this with every one of these. The kingdom of heaven is like. It's an extended simile. That's a grammatical term. That's what a parable is. It's not an allegory. Uh, Not in this case, though allegories are used in our New Testaments. These are not allegories. These are not Stories that have line for line matching correspondence with physical realities and spiritual truths. This is a real true to life story that has a central truth at its core. So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a net. We don't get to decide what the kingdom of heaven is like in the parable. He tells us what it's like. It's like a net. It's like a net in verse 47 that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. All right, so let's begin there. This is a drag net. 
not the now infamous television show of yesteryear that I grew up on. This is the actual literal drag net, a net that could span up to 30 feet or 300 feet rather in length and eight feet in width. It's weighted down on one side with lead weights to hold it down and it's buoyed up with some kind of flotation device on the other side. Stretch between two boats that take it out into the water. So now you have this net that's formed across with these two boats and the boats begin to circle towards each other. Pretty basic, simple fishing uh, reasoning here. As the net grows closer, they move towards the shore. And as they move towards the shore, it cuts off any escape route for the fish that they're attempting to catch. Now, I'm a fisherman, uh, recreationally, not commercially. Uh, That would have been a shock to your system. Uh, Where exactly, I don't know. Here, I'm a recreational fisherman, but I'm a specific recreational fisherman. In fact, so many of you, my dear friends, like to fish for trout and other things. I reject those fish. I reject them outright. I'll tell you right now, I only want to catch bass. That's all I do. I'm a part of a bass association. Um, There's a bunch of us out there, mostly in the south, but there's a bunch of us out there that love to catch bass. Well, this fishing technique is not for the bass fishermen because this fishing technique is indiscriminate. And that's the whole picture that Jesus paints. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. This mysterious kingdom present is like this dragnet that catches everything that's within the water in which it moves. That's why he says at the end of verse number 47, that it's thrown into the water and gathered fish of every kind. If, no doubt, some of these men fished with dragnets. I'm not sure what all the technologies were for fishing, but Jesus was talking to some pretty knowledgeable fishermen. We remember our Bible stories from Sunday school. One of our favorites is, you know, good old Peter. He's like, um, you know, we fish for a living. No, really, throw it on the other side. Uh, I hate to be arrogant about this, but we, we've been fishing out here all night. Okay, so these are some knowledgeable fishermen that have, that have heard a lot of things from Christ. This one hits right where they live. Now, what's the rest of the picture? Verse 48, when it was full... When the fishermen had that net full, they would bring it into the shore and they would sit down and they would sort out the good fish, which good here means good for money, could be eaten, could be sold. They put those into containers to be taken to market or taken back for storage, but threw away the bad. No description given, thrown back in the water, potentially just thrown up on the shore for scavengers to eat. Whatever the case, there was a point of judgment at the end of fishing with the drag net. Um, My mind ran to the Discovery Channel, as it always does. And uh, one of my favorite shows that Renee just laughs at me for watching, The Deadliest Catch. I mean, I I sit and watch commercial crab fishermen. I mean, when I say this out loud, it's, it's hard to hear myself say that. I sit and watch commercial fishermen. And part of the fishing process for crabs is this culling table where they dump this huge basket of crab and they sit there with this little mechanism that measures how big the crab is and they they use it on the crab and they either throw it in one bucket or they chuck it out into the water. It goes back out into the water. This is the same concept in a much more primitive sense that's being used with this drag net. This picture that Jesus is presenting are fishermen sitting on the shore simply picking up fish, knowing different fish, 
And knowing what is good and knowing which ones are worthless to them, throwing one over here and one into the container. One over here, one into the container. Now, how is it that the kingdom of heaven is like that parable? That's our question. And no doubt that's their question. And Jesus doesn't leave that question unanswered. How is it that the kingdom of heaven is like a net? Well, he'll tell you because the net is simply the picture presented for verse 49 pointing to the end of the kingdom present. So it will be at the close of the age. This is how the kingdom is like a net, a drag net for fishing. It's like it because the activity of culling out fish mirrors the close of the kingdom age at present. And so we move from the parable smoothly without hesitation to the point in the interpretation Jesus provides in verses 49 and 50. Jesus leaves us crystal clear with an understanding of what it is that we can understand about the kingdom from this parable. The conclusion of the kingdom present is connected directly to the activity of verse 48 in the picture of the fishermen culling out good from worthless fish. Notice what Jesus says in verse number 49. It's not fishermen who are calling in the end of the age. It's angels who come out and separate the evil from the righteous. And that is people. That's not actions. That's people. People are being divided at the close of the age. At the end of the kingdom present, when the king returns to culminate, to make full his kingdom reign, this is what will take place. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. So the good will will be gathered together to God. The evil will be cast away. The point is shocking as Jesus discusses the humanity that will be divided when he returns. This is coming, folks. This is real. This is this is going to happen. We either believe our Bibles or we don't. Jesus says to his disciples in the house, you're confused about the presence of unbelief and non-followers mixed around and living in the social sphere of believers and followers of my name. You're confused. You're concerned that I am not dominating all those who are my enemies, that I'm not crushing them, putting them under my fist, as is my right and as was promised in the Old Testament. Not yet, but it's coming. That's what he says. Not yet. Not yet. But it will come. Just like fishermen who drag a net full of varieties of fish and sit on the shore and distinguish those fish out, that day is coming for humanity. For all who live and exist under the kingdom of heaven present, that is, Jesus reigning from heaven, not yet established in His physical reign on earth. Angels, not fishermen. People, not fish. A furnace. Not merely cast away. Jesus brings us here and he brings the disciples 
to a point that for them bolstered their courage to continue living out the kingdom mission. No doubt sobering them to the end of that mission. What is it that happens at the end of the kingdom present work of the Messiah? We find out in verses 49 and 50. The kingdom present is not the kingdom future. What we now exist under will be set apart when the king returns. Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 15, explain to us, show us the great white throne judgment when all who have rejected the king, when all who have refused to follow the king, when all who have lived in disobedience and rebellion against him will forever be divided from those whom he has saved and counted as righteous in his son. Now I know, I'm aware of the nature of what Jesus says here being anything but comfortable to talk about. Trust me, I'm aware that I'm the one up here publicly talking about it. That this is hard to say. And it's hard to hear. And yet it is as true as every other point from the parables. Jesus describes in verses 49 and 50. A very real place called hell. It is not a place where we will find unbelievers partying with their friends. It's not a place where they'll have a drink with the devil. It's not a place that's funny. This isn't a comic strip with a picture of hell and a punchline. This is hell. And this is what is coming. For those who do not respond to the kingdom message from the king. It's a physical place. With physical people experiencing physical anguish. Jesus talks more about this place than he talks about any other place. Take your Bible and flip back and let's just make sure we understand how much of a theme this has already been. Go back to Matthew 8. Just back a few pages to Matthew 8. Let me show you the theme that that develops early in Matthew's recording of Jesus' teaching ministry. You remember this in chapter 8. We get to see these examples of faith. Um being put on display there's a leper and in verse number five of chapter eight we find the centurion Um, he says just say the word Um, jesus heard this he marveled and said to those who followed him truly i tell you in verse 10 with no one in israel have i found such faith i tell you many will come from east and west and recline at the table with abraham isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven that is gentiles will be present that means us that's the promise that we will be recipients Of grace. Verse number 12. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, into that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, The Jews who reject me as Messiah, they are the sons of the kingdom in a physical sense. They are the descendants of Abraham, but they will not experience, they will not experience the banquet hall of heaven. They will experience outer darkness. 
weeping and grinding of their teeth. Gnashing of teeth has become almost Bible lingo to us. It's grinding the teeth because of the pain. It's the, it's the image of giving um, a soldier who has no numbing effect something to bite so that he can grit down his teeth and hold out while he's, he's experiencing surgery without any anesthetic. Only there will be nothing to bite on. So it will be the grinding of the teeth because of the pain. This is what Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 12. He's already described it in Matthew chapter 13. Go back to 13. When we heard the parable of the weeds explained to us, the wheat and the weeds, we find in verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse number 49 then. Hammers it home. The angels will come. And the angels will separate. As servants of God. The evil from the righteous. And they'll throw the evil ones. Into the fiery furnace. Let's just pause to consider. Hell. For a moment. The Bible tells us that hell is real, constant torment and pain. You see, the nightmare of hell is that even those in hell have a resurrected body that will never die a second death. And so they eternally die. We have the picture of grinding of teeth. The, the, the suffering of hell is compounded because the teeth never go away. You can grind and grind and grind, but the pain never is quenched. There's never a moment where the hand that is burning is gone and there's no more burning. It just keeps burning. The worm doesn't die. It just keeps eating away at the flesh. It is constant. It is literal and physical. This is a holy God's wrath against sinful humanity. This is what Jesus communicates is the close of the age. Hell also is represented in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. If you're in our, in our adult Sunday school class, we've been looking at Hebrews. At the end of chapter 10, we find that hell has varying degrees of judgment for sinners. There is worse punishment in hell. There is a hotter hell for some than for others. But all will experience it eternally. It never ceases. It is everlasting anguish. There is no end. Matthew 25 verse 46. It will not stop. John Bunyan in his old English way said this. And listen to these devastating thoughts. If after 10,000 years an end should come, there would be comfort. But here is thy misery. Here thou must be forever. When thou seest what an innumerable company of howling devils thou art amongst, thou shalt think this again. This is my portion forever. When thou hast been in hell so many thousands of years, 
as there are stars in the firmament or drops in the sea or sands on the seashore. Yet thou hast to lie there forever. Oh, this one word. Ever. How will it torment thy soul? Jesus communicates to the disciples through a true-to-life picture one central truth. The kingdom of heaven present will temporarily include spiritual diversity, but it will end in precise, dramatic, unavoidable, and eternal judgment. I would propose to you this morning that we do not consider hell seriously enough nor often enough. So what is it that this parable is here for? What was it that Jesus expected as a response from the disciples? What is it that the Spirit intends for us as God's people as we read this, as we're aware of this? What is it that this should generate in us? We are to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. This is not for information gathering. This is for life change. We are to live differently as God's people because of Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. Not just go on from here, sobered temporarily, momentarily by hell's reality. Let me consider a few thoughts of application for you. I believe that Jesus intends with this picture and these shocking words. The spirit intends for us to take stock. Second, Peter, chapter one, verse 10, commends us to make your calling and election sure. There is no way to encounter hell, the eternal physical torment of all who are apart from Christ and not consider my position to Christ. Take stock. Take stock of your spiritual condition. Do you know Christ? What fruits are evidenced in your life that communicate that you are new, that you have a new heart, you have new values, new priorities, new perspectives? What is it? What is it about you that confirms that you are in fact what you claim to be? Consider your calling and election. Make it sure course, I think it can go with, I won't go without saying, taking stock of yourself if you are in Christ ends in Christ. Okay, this is not simply introspection as an end in and of itself. It's introspection to see if the very core of who I am, who I am known to be in the dark when no one can see me, is a child of the living God with a new heart and a new outlook on my life. With new truth informing me. New affections that God has granted to me. Because if those are not present. There is no hope of eternal life. And this is reality. Take stock. Secondly take heart. I believe the disciples were encouraged by this message. They were encouraged because they knew. That their Messiah had not somehow failed in his kingdom mission. Justice would be served. God's holiness would be established. The promises of the kingdom would come to fruition. So take heart. Be encouraged. 
you have a heavenly citizenship. And when you are suffering at the hands of the spiritual diversity in which you live now, know that it will not always be so. We will give God glory for His judgment and wrath against sin. So take stock. Take heart. Thirdly, take action. Take action. Excuse me. Don't allow this kind of a text with these kind of truths to leave you sitting here thinking, wow, hell is horrible. Which parties do we have this week? Take action. Brothers and sisters, this is to be motivating for us. You say, what motivates me in my kingdom mission? It's my overwhelming gratitude for the grace of God and my overwhelming reality of what is coming at the close of the age. Our loved ones, apart from Jesus Christ, this, they will experience this. Our stranger, neighbors, the odd people we see. The ones that make us feel uncomfortable. The ones that we know we'll lose a friendship with if we talk about Christ. Do we grasp the truth of hell? Or is it merely a theological abstract that we sign off on but are never affected by? David shared a powerful illustration from an atheist and a comedian, Penn, from Penn and Teller last week. Where he said so much as this. What kind of a Christian who believes that this is coming for me wouldn't tell me. At the expense of me being offended in the moment. Take action. Take stock. Take heart. Take action. And then ultimately. Take the gospel. Take the gospel. It is not enough to warn that this is coming It is not enough to say hell is real. It's not enough to go to those that you know and care for and say, apart from Christ, you'll go to hell. There must be the gospel, the good news. This is the bad news. Sin will be punished eternally. God's wrath will not be set aside. And the good news is it can be taken by someone else. Take the gospel. Take hope. Take Take the joyous, eternal salvation of God through Jesus Christ to those who await this end apart from Him. How can we read this? And not be kingdom missionaries today Tomorrow, how? How can we read this? I mean, do we really believe it's a fiery furnace? Do we really think it's a fireplace? Where people cry out for eternity and they grind their teeth? They know no fellowship of God. They know no hope for fellowship with God. There is no end. There is no grace. There is nothing available to them. It is wrath, wrath, wrath. We must take the gospel. It is the good news. And this is the day of salvation. This is the era of salvation. When it's over, it's over. So. 
kingdom of heaven is just like a fishing net when it's drawn in. All the fish, fishermen sit down on the shore, call out those that are good from those that are bad. So it is at the end of this present age. When the angels will come and will call the evil from the righteous, those who have been granted imputed righteousness, not their own, not because they were faithful, quote-unquote, Christians, but because they've trusted Christ. Those who have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ, His obedience and His death bearing their guilt. Those ones will be set apart for eternity in the presence of God, enjoys everlasting in unaffected worship, in removal of the presence, power, and prevalence of sin. Those that are found apart from Christ, that are not covered by Him, that don't have His mark upon them. This is their end. The kingdom of heaven, in the present, will include temporary spiritual diversity that will end in precise, unavoidable judgment. Take stock. Take heart. Take action. Take the gospel. It's the only hope. Father, this is a hard text because it, it smashes through our comfortable Christianity. It just slaps us in the face of our indifference. Don't allow your spirit to leave this with us. Don't allow him to leave and, and let us fade back into indifference and being unaffected. May his presence be, be focused on us individually. May his presence be convicting. May it be sobering. May it be altering our perspective. May our minds be renewed so that we don't think like the world thinks. We don't think of the people around us as happy enough. I don't want to bother them. We don't think of people around us as, as temporary happy beings. But rather, because of this text, may we see them more clearly as eternal souls that apart from Christ will not always mingle under the present kingdom of heaven. Father, I pray that you would break through the pride of self-righteousness if there are those today who have claimed to be yours who are not. Who have earned their own righteousness. Whose Christianity is mere formality. It is a mere checklist of things to do and not to do. It is not grounded in an unwavering faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is not seen in fruits of love and service. It is not seen in fruits of, of new affections and desires and priorities. It is not seen in obedience to your holy word. Break through, I pray, for your glory's sake. Take us as eager, desperate 
messengers of the future judgment that awaits all who reject Your Son. And may we look with anticipation to His glorious return when we will experience the fullness of joy in Him. Use us until the close of the age to spread the message of grace that is the kingdom-building message of Jesus Christ. I pray this in His name. Amen.